Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Let's Talk XFL, the only podcast solely focused on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host Michael Lathrop. Hello football fans. This is episode 5, all about the Benjamins. Welcome back to the show. I hope everyone has had a wonderful holiday, extended weekend, and are settling back into your routine. Unfortunately, we have another newsless week for the XFL. But don't go anywhere. Pull up a chair, grab yourself a beverage, perhaps a snack, because we have a fantastic show today. I will be talking about ways the XFL can formulate a financial plan to ensure the league generates the revenue necessary to operate in 2023 and beyond. After all, this league has faltered twice, and financial viability is more important now than ever. In a little while, I'll be joined by fellow XFL newsroom contributor James Larson. James and I will further discuss potential broadcasting agreements and revenue sources. But first, I'll break down some potential revenue streams. I ask that each of you keep an open mind. Some of these recommendations could be divisive and outright opposed to. I understand the pushback to some of these revenue streams. Unfortunately, in today's business world, it is as competitive as ever. The cost of operating professional sports leagues nationally, and even potentially internationally, are as high as ever. I will not be talking about concessions, merchandising, parking, or ticket sales. These are obvious and transactional. I acknowledge these items are important, but these details can be addressed closer to the beginning of 2023. My focus will be on the significant revenue generators, which require more time to secure contracts and partnerships. I will begin with broadcasting rights. In today's sports landscape, broadcasting agreements are the most important piece to the financial puzzle. When leagues get it right, they can be worth billions of dollars. For the sake of you, the listener, I will provide a point of reference. Here are a few traditional broadcasting deals among America's iconic leagues. First, we'll take a look at the National Football League. According to CBS Sports, their multi-network deal is worth more than $10 billion per year. Second, the National Basketball Association. According to CBS Sports, their multi-network deal is worth more than $8 billion per year. Third, according to CBC.com, the National Hockey League's multi-network deal is worth $635 million per year. Fourth, according to Sports Media Watch, Major League Baseball's multi-network deal is worth $700 million per year. But to be fair, the deal is set to expire, and a new agreement is expected to be reduced to approximately $550 million per year. Fifth and lastly, according to CNBC, Major League Soccer's multi-network deal is worth $90 million per year. To be fair, these figures do not include regional or international agreements. These leagues operate with anywhere from 27 to 32 teams that encompass some of the largest television markets. In addition, these leagues play more games during their regular and postseasons. Despite the XFL's history of failing to make it to a second consecutive season, the 2020 season drew solid television ratings and at times outperformed college basketball, the NBA, and the NHL. The XFL must get this right. The league appears to prioritize its television broadcasting rights by the hiring of Jay Rothman as a senior vice president of broadcast operations. Fans of the league should be encouraged of his appointment. Among Rothman's resume is his 33 years at ABC and ESPN. 
Rothman served as the vice president of production from 2011 to 2021. Prior to that, he held the titles of producer and executive producer with direct ties to production of college football, the Heisman Trophy presentation, the NFL draft, the Monday night football, and an array of non-football coverage. Another important financial piece is marketing partnerships via sponsorship. In 2020, insurance giant Progressive Insurance partnered with the XFL as the league's official auto insurer. Aside from the New York Guardians MetLife Stadium, the iconic brand was painted on the field of every game. Some of the 2020 major sponsorships included Bud Light Seltzer, Topps G, 111 Apparel, Dick's Sporting Goods, Gatorade, and as I previously mentioned, Progressive Insurance. I know the most important thing for us fans in 2023 will be the quality of the product on the field, but the most important thing for the partners must be financial viability. If you haven't already had an opportunity to listen to the Sportico's Invest in Sports Summit back on November 3rd, I recommend doing so. It is available on Sportico's YouTube account. I'm not going to backtrack and cover Danny and Jerry's entire segment again, but I do want to focus solely on a portion of it. And for reference's sake, here is the clip. What is the discussion now? Jerry, what do you say to Danny? Danny, what do you say to Jerry? Where are we? Where are we going? Look, it's it, it's the same discussion that we had when we first decided to come together, which is, um, you know, how do we build a company that is that is both a, the convergence of live event entertainment and sport? Um, and, you know, again, it's that what we talk about today uh, is exactly what we started out doing a year ago. And it's been a little over a year ago that we came together. And it's really the, the overlay of every if everything that they do in terms of a, a real entertainment company with an engagement with fans that is global in orientation, that is delivering must-carry content. And, you know, my my input will be, how do we make this a company? How do we get this to pay for itself? Uh, and, and you put that together, and that's where the magic happens. And we're in the middle of that right now. It is no surprise that Jerry stated the XFL is a business, and it needs to pay for itself. Seeing the league has already had two iterations, and neither of them made it to a second consecutive season, makes this statement very important. We must be honest with ourselves and not forget these partners spent $15 million just to acquire the league. That amount is growing each day and will reach a considerable figure before the league kicks off in 2023. This is a business and without profitability, there will be no league. So how can the XFL generate the revenue needed to successfully fund and operate the league to ensure it returns to 2024? I believe the fans should have an open mind. Now, looking at potential sponsorship opportunities, let's take a look at official uniform supplier. As you may recall, Champion was the original uniform supplier in 2001. But for whatever reason, this was a missed opportunity for Vince McMahon's 2.0 relaunch. According to CNN Business, the National Football League's current deal with Nike is worth $125 million per year. According to ESPN, the National Basketball Association's current deal with Nike is worth approximately $120 million per season. And according to Bleacher Report, the National Hockey League's current deal with Adidas is worth $70 million per year with incentives that could reach $120 million per season. According to Forbes, Major League Baseball's current deal with Nike is worth $100 million per year. And lastly, according to Forbes, 
Major League Soccer's current deal with Adidas is worth approximately $166.7 million per season. There are a number of uniform manufacturers the XFL can negotiate with. To mention a few possibilities, there are Nike, Adidas, Reebok, New Balance, Riddell, and lastly, Under Armour. Perhaps leverage the Rocks line with the manufacturer to secure a respectable deal. Another avenue would be official helmet supplier and sponsorship. The NFL currently no longer has an official supplier. Players are allowed to wear any manufacturer as long as it meets the safety requirements. However, in the past, the NFL had an agreement with Rydell. Unfortunately, I was unable to find the monetary terms of the agreement. If you recall, the original XFL had an agreement with Bike for the 2001 season. The terms of the deal were not disclosed. Also, in 2020, the league teamed up with Vicus. There were financial issues with the company, which likely resulted without financial support, but I cannot rule out the possibility of the parties exchanging services at no cost to the league. Either way, such an agreement can help the league, whether it be a revenue source or an avenue to reduce expenditures. There are several manufacturers to consider. Rydell, Scoot Sports, Game Breaker, Impact Sports, Light Helmets, Rock Solid, Second Skull, Unequal Technologies, Vicus, and Exenith. A third option would be official ball supplier and sponsorship. However, the National Basketball Association and the National Football League have agreements with Wilson as the official ball supplier. This was another missed opportunity for the XFL in 2020. The good news is there are several manufacturers the league can negotiate with. A few include Nike, Spalding, and Wilson. A fourth option would be tarping off corner end zone seats with advertising and sponsors. This practice was utilized during the pandemic by major leagues such as the National Basketball Association, the National Hockey League, as well as soccer leagues around the world. This practice has already been utilized in professional football by the Canadian Football League. So therefore, fans have already been exposed to this and are somewhat conditioned to seeing it. Adopting this won't only make the league money. It could help eliminate empty seats. Why not take advantage of those empty seats? A fifth option, red zone sideline advertising signage. For years, college football bowl games have done this. Seeing the XFL sidelines in end zone areas are scarce of entourages and media. This is an opportunity to fill that emptiness while collecting revenue. A sixth option is jersey sponsorship. This is no longer a foreign concept. The league could utilize sponsorship patches on the opposite shoulder of the official apparel sponsorship. In addition to soccer teams all over the globe cashing in on this marketing practice, the National Basketball Association and the WNBA have included jersey sponsorship for a few seasons now. To mention a few, the Boston Celtics have Vista Print, the Cleveland Cavaliers have Goodyear, Milwaukee Bucks have Motorola, Phoenix Suns have PayPal, Lastly, the Toronto Raptors have Sun Life Financial. There has been varying reports on the revenue generated for each team. Supposedly, these agreements can be worth up to $15 million per year. In addition to team jerseys, perhaps the league should consider placing sponsorships on the referee teams. I know the officials should not be a focal point of the game. However, they provide multiple moments where they are front and center. 
all eyes are solely focused on the referee when penalties are being accessed. The entire stadium, as well as millions of viewers at home, give their undivided attention to hearing the penalty, yards assessed, and even instant replay outcomes. A seventh option would be helmet sponsorships. The addition of decals and stickers on football helmets is not a new concept. When the sport first began, the helmets were not a thing, and when they were introduced, they were just plain leather. Eventually, the helmets were painted a team color. It wasn't until we were in the 1900s that a logo was included on a helmet. Fast forward to 2020, we did see the Dallas Renegades with a Bud Light Seltzer helmet sponsorships. This is becoming a new trend. For a few seasons now, the National Hockey League have joined in on this simple cash grab. To name a few, the Dallas Stars have AT&T, the Florida Panthers have Ford and Baptist Health, National Predators have Bridgestone, the New Jersey Devils have Prudential, the New York Rangers have Chase Bank, and lastly, the Washington Capitals have Capital One. According to TeamMarketing.com, the National Hockey League brings in $15 million in total. Again, I'm not saying the XFL needs to do all of these. I do, however, believe these are some easy and significant ways for the league to generate revenue to ensure the league is profitable and return for several more years. After all, if major sports leagues are adopting these revenue streams, why shouldn't the XFL? As I have mentioned previously, we will now be joined by James Larson. James is a fellow XFL newsroom contributor. In addition to his writing for the website, you might also be familiar with the show XFL Newsrooms One-on-One with James Larson. His recent piece on the potential of an XFL broadcasting agreement led me to inviting him to discuss that in additional revenue sources. Welcome, James. I appreciate you taking the time to join the show to discuss potential revenue streams for the XFL. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me on this show. Looking forward to what we get into today. And just want to say, how exciting is it for the XFL to be officially coming back in 2023? It's super exciting, but we've had this before, so hopefully it's not a letdown. So, no, I'm stoked, uh, as I'm sure several other people are. Can't go Uh, fast enough. (laughs) Definitely not. Can you take a moment and provide some of your backstory for our listeners? Yeah, for sure. So I, my name is James Larson. For those of you who don't know, I've been a spring football enthusiast for a few years now. Obviously, the first iteration of the XFL, I was a newborn, so I don't really remember anything from that version. But ever since the Alliance of American Football came along in 2019, I was really interested in that. And then, of course, that got shut down. The XFL came along, and I was definitely a lot more invested in the XFL because just the overall infrastructure, how the league was set up. I thought everything the XFL did was much better than the Alliance. I still supported both leagues, but I was extremely excited for the XFL in 2020, followed along, really enjoyed watching the league. And then, of course, COVID hit, and that really sucked for a lot of reasons, and the XFL was shut down. So that happened, and then I was really getting into freelance writing at the time, so I was able to get an opportunity to start writing for a couple of networks, the Brawl Network and the XFL Newsroom. And then in August of 2020, as we all know by now, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, Redbird Capital, bought the league, and here we are now waiting for the 2023 return. That's kind of where I'm at. Fantastic, James. 
When it comes to sports leagues, the most important source of revenue has traditionally been television broadcasting. Looking back at your recent article on the XFL Newsroom, you wrote regarding your speculation of a broadcasting agreement. Please share with our listeners your thoughts about a potential partnership for the league. Yeah, so I wrote an article which mainly discussed some ideas I had for the XFL moving forward with broadcasting. And I think what really sticks out to me between the recent hirings that we just saw and and some of the other stuff going on in the world of spring football is the fact that, first of all, you have Fox who is going all in on the USFL, right? They're bringing back the United States Football League, which that was a spring league for those of you who may not be familiar with it. That was around back in the 80s, and it did pretty well, and then it eventually got shut down. Fox is now working with some affiliates to bring that league back, and they plan on playing in 2022. So, and Fox, as as we all know, they're very hungry for football. We've seen this time and time again. They were pretty all in on the XFL. I think Fox, in my personal opinion, they were my favorite broadcasting stream to watch during the XFL season. Everything was always very professional. They do such a great job. The announcers they bring on, the commentators they bring on, everyone on the Fox team is very professional. So, I'm excited for the USFL, first of all, because I, I think they're going to do a splendid job with that. But considering they're all in on the USFL, and let's say that they do get to survive more than one year, which is their plan, they plan on investing $150 million within the next three years, you look at that and you're thinking USFL and the XFL are in a way going to be competing with each other for that spring football market. Now, if Fox is all in on the USFL, I don't see them trying to broadcast the XFL. I don't know, like, why would you bring attention to the XFL while you're trying to make the USFL the new big brand of spring football? So that's kind of where I'm at with Fox and the XFL. I don't see the two of them working together in the future. It just doesn't make sense as of right now. Now, if the USFL can't last one year, which, of course, we don't want to see that happen, but between the Alliance and the XFL twice, you know, the patterns there it's hard for a spring league to last more than one year so i don't know who knows what will happen in the usfl this year if if they if they end up making it past one year i don't see fox working with them but enough on fox what i really want to focus on is espn slash abc they also broadcasted games for the xfl in 2020 those those streams always got a large number of viewers And I think what's really interesting to me about the recent hirings is Jay Rothman. For those of you who don't know him, he is now going to be the vice president of broadcast operations for the league. He was one of the nine big hires that they just announced last month. Now, Rothman most recently works for ESPN as vice president of production for the company. So you think with that connection... There might be something there for the XFL to move forward. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on that with Jay Rothman being with the XFL now. Do you think that there's definitely a chance that we see ESPN working with Rothman and the XFL moving forward? Well, first of all, I believe you're spot on, James. Fox's ownership of the USFL takes the network out of the running. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Also, there's the fact that come the new year, NBC is shutting down its NBC Sports Network. That leaves the only other potential sports-minded network being CBS and a CBS Sports Network. You know, the problem with CBS is that their sports network 
there's not enough homes. So literally on cable platforms, it literally is just not enough of enough packages. If the XFL were to go the route of the CBS, it would seriously limit itself to viewership, which is likely the result in less revenue. So that's why I think you're 100% spot on with ESPN and ABC. Rothman, his addition to the executive team, appears to be very strategic. You know, let's hope it results in a broadcasting agreement for the league. I mean, Rothman is just his experience in not only the networks, and if you look particularly with football, it just seems like it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's a no-brainer. I don't see why the XFL would pursue anything with another network unless, again, if Fox becomes available in 2023, depending on, on the whole USFL situation, then sure, there's a chance they could work with Fox. But as of right now, why would Fox want to work with the XFL? They've got the USFL to focus on. You've got ESPN wide open to take this. I think it would be a great um, collaboration there. I don't know, but that's that's kind of where I'm at. I think the two of them would work great together, as they already did in 2020. So I don't see why not. I think you're right in the sense that if the USFL does not make it to year two, that there's a possibility. I agree. But we'd be looking at it so late in the game that I don't think it would potential partner right out of the gate for the return of 2023. Yeah. Because I I think that the hub that they're doing in Birmingham, Alabama, it's designed to reduce expenditures, the travel for the teams, the players, uh, all their entourages, but also just for the broadcasting crews that can literally just put everybody there. I think it's designed to keep costs down and to guarantee a second season. So I, I really think it's unlikely, but you're right. If it's a big enough loss and just if they crash and burn, it could put them in the running, but I just think it's a little late to the game. I mean, that's just my personal take. I, oh, I would yeah. think. I would agree with you there, and I, I do think the USFL will survive this year, and I'll go into that quick for a couple of reasons. For one, we saw what Fox was able to do with the Spring League, right? Last year, year and a half, they broadcasted several games in 2020 for the fall season. That went well, so like, let's try it again now with the North and the South Division. If you look at it, what they did with the TSL this season is very, very similar to what they're doing with the USFL for 2022. Just the USFL is going to be on a much bigger scale, especially as they continue to scale it upwards moving forward. So as which a lot of us were kind of talking about this while the spring league was going on as 2021 season, we were like, hey, Fox is really buying into this. I wonder if Fox will try to bring the spring league back in a bigger way. And they kind of are. They're just going with the USFL, which I think makes more sense. So, yeah, I agree with you there. I think I think the setup that they have right now is setting them up for success moving forward. And that is going to make things a little tricky for the XFL if the USFL is doing really well. How is the XFL going to be able to find a way to survive in a spring football market that's hungry, but also is there enough room for two leagues? I don't know. It's a bit of an arms race. I mean, when you look at it, whether it's markets, whether it's TV you know, deals, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, it's good for the consumer that is the football fan, but it's going to be difficult for the leagues, no doubt. Definitely. James, if you were to receive a phone call from Russ Brandon with the sole purpose of picking your mind about unique revenue streams, 
what ideas would you present to them? Well, I guess the main idea that I would have on the table is we are currently living in a world that is so technologically advanced and so focused on digital, 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 that I would love to see the XFL try to incorporate some type of streaming service into their 2023 season. Because let's face it, not everyone has cable these days. Not everyone has TV. I mean, we see a lot, especially of people in the younger generation who are like, I don't really need TV when I've got development of things like Disney Plus and Hulu and NBC's Peacock and, and Netflix and all of these other streaming services. They don't really see a need for having TV because what are they going to do? Watch the news on the TV? They get all of that from their phone anyway. So they don't really see a need to have a cable subscription. Of course, cable is still going to be their main source of revenue from the just the mass margin of people in the U.S. that have it. But I think that the XFL could really see some success if they created or worked with some sort of streaming service. And I know if, you know, if they're working with ABC and ESPN in the future, ABC and ESPN, they have connections to Disney, Disney Plus. I mean – I don't know if that's a little wild to say, but I think there's a chance that we could see Disney Plus working with the XFL as well to to try to get some sort of streaming service available for people that can't watch games on TV. You might be on something there, James. If you really think about it, what have we seen with the NFL? Recently, there's that whole Amazon Prime. They're doing something with Nickelodeon for kids' games. I know that's not streaming. But there could be a crossover. So could Disney Plus be a way to target children to get them enticed into watching the league, having a favorite team and whatnot? Also, ESPN has what, ESPN Plus? Yeah, there's a a nominal fee. I think it's like $40, $50 a year, or you can do it $5 a month or something like that. Or if you bundle your Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN and whatnot. But you might be onto something there, right? The digital age is really in its infancy. So we're only going to see more of it as time goes on. So I, I definitely think it's something. It's a paywall, and I know people are going to complain about that, but the reality is this is where we're headed. All those cable cutters, right? And I, I think yeah, you're, and, you're spot on. And to give a little example of this, um, just this past year, um, I was trying to find ways to watch a little bit of the Olympics, specifically the uh, USA basketball team, because I, I love basketball, the NBA, and the USA team had a lot of NBA players on it, and I wanted to watch it, but I don't have TV. So what I ended up doing was purchasing a month of their Peacock streaming service, which cost me like five bucks or whatever, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do that, that way I can watch a couple of these games. And it worked out great, and I did end up canceling my subscription after the Olympics were over. But if you think about it, there's a lot of people out there like that who are going to be like, hey, you know, I'll throw five bucks or, or nine bucks or ten bucks so I can watch some of these games. And I think if the XFL was able to integrate something like that into their overall revenue plan for 2023, or even if they didn't do it in 2023, try to figure out a way to incorporate it in soon see the xfl is all about innovation and we know that this is where technology is headed so it makes sense to see the xfl come up with an innovative way for for people to watch the league not specifically with a cable subscription yeah you have some interesting ideas do you have any other 
unique revenue streams or do you find any particular streams that would be tacky that you'd be opposed to? Um, some streams that I might be opposed to and it's, it's going to be a little hard to word this because obviously we know that Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson are really into the entertainment scene of things, the Hollywood scene of things. And they, Danny Garcia has mentioned multiple times about, you know, using that aspect and, and trying to incorporate entertainment and shows and who knows what exactly into the XFL. And I think that's a great idea. I think that's going to be a way to bring in more revenue to the league. If you put together some, you know, neat shows about things behind the scenes in the league or, or you're putting together some just some unique content for the fans. But. I don't want to see them Hollywoodize it, for lack of a better term, too much. I would rather see them focus more on providing solid spring football rather than them try to focus on all these bells and whistles that, at the end of the day, don't lead to a whole lot. It could be a nice added piece if you're on streaming, you know, to fill the void from weekend to weekend. If you need something midweek, I get that. Yes, it shouldn't be the sole focal point. But it could be a nice slight addition, you know, if they did like a hard knocks type of thing with a team or a couple of teams, if they kind of did almost like an NFL live that's from ESPN. If they found a way to do that throughout the week, it could be a nice added bonus. It could generate additional sponsors that are going to sponsor around those shows. So, yeah, I can see it. I agree. I don't want it to be anything like I don't know if you had a chance to ever go back on YouTube and watch any of the games from 2001 and kind of see how they tied in a lot of wrestling to it. I know there's a lot of wrestling fans that became XFL fans, but for the true diehard football people, they're just looking for quality football. That's all they want, football. There's a void from when the NFL stops to to when it picks back up in spring training and the preseason games and college football. All we're just looking for is a void there. If we wanted to watch WWE or the new AEW, I think people would tend to watch that. They're not looking for it in a football avenue. They're looking for football. That's just my, I, my thoughts. That That's where I completely agree with you for sure. And I have seen you know some of the clips and some of the things and some of the ideas that the XFL had in 2001. And I do think that you know it was unfortunate to see the league crumble then. But I do think that it provided a really good example for these new spring football leagues coming up is you don't want to make it all about bells and whistles. You don't want to make it so WWE Hollywood-ish. Focus on providing real football. And that's what the XFL did such an excellent job of in 2020. I mean, it's such a shame we didn't see get to see an end to that season. I really thought, you know, that second half was going to be some football to remember for sure so we never got to see that but i think yeah the xfl's main goal should just be to build upon what they built in 2020 i'm sure there's some things that they can improve but there's a there was so much good that i want to see them go back to a similar formula with some advances i agree more any other takes that you're opposed to not specifically not, okay. not that I can really think of off the top of my head. I don't want to get too off topic because I know we're trying to focus on revenue streams, but this does kind of tie in a little bit with that. We're looking at the USFL, right? And right now they have the eight teams, and almost all of them, pretty much all of them, are on the East Coast or on the eastern side of America. So you think about 
how that's going to play a factor when it comes to ticket sales and trying to build these teams around cities that will support the teams, right? So I, I wonder where the XFL will go in their 2023 season, which teams we might see moving to different cities or just trying to fill in the voids where they're they're like, wow, this is a big market that's still untapped. I don't know what your thoughts are on that or what cities we could see maybe adjusted come 2023 to continue to bring in solid ticket sales. I definitely think that there's got to be a strategic approach to this. The USFL obviously has made its decision, regardless if they're in a hub or not, they put city names to, you know, each of the teams. So for an example, we already know there's three markets that there's going to be an overlap of, you know, of uh, what the New Jersey generals, that's where the New York guardians were playing. We have the Houston uh, gamblers, which is where the Houston roughnecks were. And then the Tampa Bay bandits now where the uh, Tampa Bay vipers. So there clearly needs to be some thought there and there needs to be some planning. I know there's some people out there saying, well, the USFL is planning on playing a little bit later. It's not going to start as early, so it's a possibility that I don't think it's wise to compete in the same market. If somebody just bought season tickets, let's say that the USFL makes it to 2023 and they're out of the hub. I can't see a Houston Gamblers season ticket holder also going to turn around and buy season tickets to the Houston Roughnecks. So there needs to be a move there. All right? It sucks. It's unfortunate. But maybe moving somebody like the Roughnecks to San Antonio. We have to be honest. Daryl Moose Johnson there with the USFL has made it clear that he is lobbying for the USFL to put a team in San Antonio. So there is thought of them expanding eventually. Why shouldn't the XFL beat them to the punch? Why not take the obvious market that's available? Right? So if that means you're moving slightly further west. It means you got to bring back LA. You got to bring back Seattle. Right. To me, I, I that's agree. obvious. And it has to happen. It, to me, I, it is fans begging for it that there's already a void. I completely agree. And I think I want to build off your point a little bit with San Antonio. Looking at the Alliance American Football, what were two of their best markets? Orlando and San Antonio. Both of those markets are open. Both of those markets are not too far from where your teams already were. I don't see why you wouldn't place the Vipers in Orlando and why you wouldn't place either the Renegades or the Roughnecks in San Antonio. And considering you've got, you know, the Houston Gamblers now coming to the USFL, as much as it would suck to see the Houston Roughnecks not return to Houston, you got to think from a business standpoint here, from a, from a smart, logical decision-making standpoint, it would make sense to put the Roughnecks in San Antonio. I just don't see why you wouldn't do that after seeing how amazing the commanders did there. I mean, another thing, too, is like the XFL did a really good job, I think, of getting their name out there and advertising and, you know, for hyping up the 2020 season. The Alliance, they had almost no game plan, right? They did so many things wrong, yet San Antonio was still pulling in like 25, 30,000 people to each game. So... I don't see why you would not tap into that market in 2023. The AAF's downfall is that they just rushed it. They want to be the first one back to spring football. So they knew the XFL was planning on a return. So they botched that there. But you're right. Despite everything they went wrong, things went very 
right in San Antonio. I think they average somewhere around 27, 28,000 fans per game, which is yeah. pretty solid. I don't know if you've listened to my past show, but I got into talking about averages, not just with the XFL, but we talked about the AAF and the United Football League, where spring football just doesn't have anywhere near NFL type of numbers. But when you look at the numbers, a city like San Antonio was actually at the very top. Yeah. The, the 2001 edition of the San Francisco Demons actually averaged 35,000 for the XFL. But aside from that, right next was the San Antonio Commander. So, again, not to be a cliche, no-brainer to actually put a team there. And if the XFL did not take advantage of it for its return and start planning ahead, you're only going to get beat back to the punch by the USFL with Daryl Johnson mentioning that that is a market that he wants to see them get back into. And the USFL have also recently secured some trademarks again. San Antonio is not one of them, but they are working towards adding teams for their 2023 season. That's what it appears to be the case. So, yeah, who's not to say that San Antonio is not one of their plans. So, one, you got to plan it. Two, is going to be an arms race again for stadiums. Everything comes down to contracts. You need the agreements of where you're going to play. And then you have to build the infrastructure around it once you secure those agreements. So, there's only going to be one agreement. Was it the Alamo Dome there? I believe that where the commanders played. You're either going to beat them to it or you're not. I don't know what other venues would be suitable for spring football in San Antonio. Uh, there may not be any. Again, you got to think of something in the 20,000 or more capacity. You know, obviously, anything 60 or more is, is just potentially too big. It looks like you know a ghost town. It just looks pretty vacant. Right. But I think you're right. You know, Orlando obviously is not taking care of the Western void, but you also got to still have your East Coast presence if you're going to have two divisions. Yeah, your Seattle, your L.A., yeah, San Antonio. I, I think it would keep enough, and then hopefully there'd be future growth for the league, even if it's not in season two, maybe season three. But there should be plans and be pretty vocal in maybe securing those agreements so that it can kind of keep the USFL from filling those markets. Completely agree with you there. Well, thank you, James. I appreciate you finding some time to come on the show. I enjoyed it. We should try to do this again sometime. I definitely agree with that. This was a great conversation, and I appreciate you having me on the show. Well, before you go, can you share with our listeners where they could find some of your work and where they can follow you? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I I write. I do a lot of freelance writing. Most of that you can find on my Twitter, which is at James Larson, M-I. That's pretty much my handle for everything, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you'll find me almost anywhere with the at James Larson with an L-A-R-S-E-N, not O-N like most people think. It's an E-N, M-I. And over there you'll find, yeah, all of the stuff that I do for spring football outlets. And I also cover some of the NBA and a lot of a lot of different freelance writing. So that's my main thing. You mentioned something about XFL one-on-one. Yes. Occasionally when I have time, I'll do an episode called the XFL Newsroom One-on-One where I bring um, a former XFL player onto my show and we just discuss the league and, you know, how they enjoyed it, what they think could improve and things like that. I've done a couple episodes with um, DC Defender special teams players such as Ty Raza and Hunter Nicewander. So you can check those out over on the XFL Newsroom's YouTube channel and hopefully more episodes will be coming soon. 
That's awesome. I can't wait for that to come back to fruition for you. And, uh, hey, if uh, our listeners have a chance, I hope you guys all take a look at what James is working on. It'd be great to support his endeavors. Again, thank you. Hey, try to stay warm up there in Michigan. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. Uh, We're looking at about 77 degrees today down here in southwest Florida, but not to brag, but, you know, (laughs) it's a little different. (laughs) Really needed to hear that today. Some thoughts, just warm thoughts. That's all I'm trying to help you with. <laughs> all right. Appreciate it. Next time. Cheers. Take care. Thanks for having me on. We have reached the conclusion of another episode of Let's Talk XFL. As always, I'm interested in receiving your feedback. So don't be a stranger. Let me know your thoughts and do not hesitate to hit me up on social media or via email. If you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. Before you go, Please do me a favor and take a moment to subscribe and rate the show on your platform of choice. Thank you for tuning in, and I will catch you all on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Talk XFL on your platform of choice. Follow Let's Talk XFL on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Talk XFL. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to letstalkxfl at gmail.com.